0: life is going to give you challenges struggles it's going to force you to face your fears even though these may feel like your worst enemy in truth these are actually your greatest allies my name is lance icos welcome to the university of adversity what's up everybody welcome back to university of adversity super pumped for today's guest this is such a powerful conversation but before we get into the intro, I wanted to talk to you guys about a brand new course that we've released at University of Adversity called Warrior Embodiment. This is going to really help you get in sync and recalibrate your life for mind, body, and spirit. I put together my first course ever, and I'm really proud of it. It's the first of many. But this one, I really share all the tips, resources, videos, daily actions, in these modules that will help you change your life we did a 30-day unlock the warrior within challenge where you unlock that for 30 days and the next step is to embody that and so this course is 47 bucks i really put my heart and soul into this and i'm gonna it's gonna keep evolving but you know many people ask me like you should put together a course you should really you know put together all the stuff that you've learned in the last few years of you know how you've changed your mind your body your spirit like all the things and this is going to be really unique to me and if you apply this stuff it'll definitely help you so all of that is going to be in the show notes there's going to be links for that you can also check it out on my instagram we got links for that and of course if you want to join the free challenge it's it's an evergreen challenge where you get a free facebook group it's 30 days to unlock the warrior within. And it's really helping you just create morning routines and evening routines. That's what it is. I'm sorry, folks, but sometimes the biggest changes that you can make in your life are the simplest things. And I try to keep it super simple. Try not to get too um, advanced in some of the language because some of the spiritual language and some of the personal development can get pretty pretty overwhelming and people just need to keep it simple. I know I did. So I've tried to keep it as simple and as easy for you to just take action. That's the thing. I want to help you become be the bridge from making a change in your life to actually applying these changes. So check it out. Warrior Embodiment. You won't regret it. So today's episode, we have Anjali Dumani joining us today. We had such a powerful conversation. Beautiful human being. She's an internationally acclaimed award-winning actress on stage, screen, and voiceover. She has appeared in shows such as Modern Family, Special on Netflix. Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, SWAT, Sopranos, and many more, as well as AAA video games, Overwatch, and Apex Legends, and streaming shows X and Freya Unlimited and Undeadwood with Critical Role Studios. I really wanted to get in her mind and hear of the way she's been able to be successful in this industry because it fascinates me how difficult this industry can be and how some people can do it and some people can't. And we had a really, really powerful conversation. But I also want to mention too, you guys, she's got an awesome book coming out. It's called I Am Fun Size and So Are You, Thoughts from a Tiny Human on Living a Giant Life Inspired by her 2017 YouTube series with the same name. So make sure you check out her YouTube series. And like I said, it's called I am fun size and so are you thoughts from a tiny human on living a giant life inspired from that YouTube series. Also make sure to follow her on Instagram. She's got great content and she's just an amazing human. So without further ado, make sure you guys are subscribed to the podcast. If you are wanting to watch this on YouTube, go ahead and hit the subscribe button and the bell to stay on top of them. We really appreciate you. And if you really want to support the show, Leave us a review on Apple, or like I said, if you want to support my work, go ahead and purchase the Warrior Embodiment course. I promise you won't be disappointed. All right, everybody, sit back, enjoy, grab a coffee, get on the treadmill, whatever you do, however you listen to podcasts. Anjali Bimani coming right up. And here we go. Anjali, welcome to the show. Super grateful to have you here. Isn't it amazing how you when you start to meet amazing humans and you start to grow, you just start to attract more of the same kind of, well, that's just kind of what it is. It's that energy that you're attracting. Mm -hmm. It's not accidental.
1: It's not accidental. And also, I really do think there is a sort of, not repellent, that's a terrible word, but when you start seeing the world through the eyes of what is it that I'm looking for rather than what is it that I don't want you start seeing all of the amazing people around you that are precisely the people that you want to be around. I think it really does have to do a lot with your own blinders or your own field of vision. It's it's honestly a great example of this is when I when I moved, I moved three times to Los Angeles from New York. And the first two times I moved, I was in a particularly not supportive relationship. And my partner hated LA. So I was... Constantly fighting this desire to enjoy it, and constantly seeing evidence of the things that he was kind of telling me about L.A. And then when I finally came back the third time, and we had split up at the at that time, I came to L.A. and I was like, "Okay, L.A., show me what you need." I don't. I mean, I'm. I know what I need. I need to tell you what I need. I'm going to be doing my work. I'm going to be doing auditions. That's fine. Show me what you need. And that time when I came back, I met the most extraordinary giant. Network of people, and I hate using the word network, but it was like it was like a giant family of people that were living their life in such artistic and generous ways. And not just artists by trade, but just artistic humans who saw life as an art and who cared about what other people needed and cared about what excited other people. And that was exciting to me because I when I meet people, my first thought is,, what do you love, and how do we get it for you? what's your What's your thing? What's your jam? Like it might not be your career right now. So I want to know what's your jam. Yeah. And let's talk about that. Cause then you, when you, when you talk to people about what excites them, that excitement just kind of, it, it exponentially increases. And then the conversation is really fun.
0: Yeah. You really see that in people when you, when you talk about things like that. And I love that too. And especially in this kind of dynamic with a podcast, when you connect and you start to like go and people, you see people light up and everybody has that within them, whatever you're talking about. And, and just seeing that is such a beautiful thing to see them kind of like passionate about something and that mm-hmm. they're excited about and you kind of dig into it and they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and that t- energy is so, so powerful.
1: And it, it's magnetic and it's infectious. And that's the, and that is the best kind of infectious. It's a thing that gets other people excited about following their dreams or other people excited about, oh yeah, what, what's my, what's my jam? What's the thing that I love to do and how do I get it? You know, I think, I think so much, especially with, with terms like action and ambition, we think that it has to be completely self-driven. We think that it's something that we have within us and we have to develop, but it becomes a very kind of a very purely masculine energy thing. And I think, and not masculine in terms of like, guys only have it, women don't, but just like our balances of energy. And I think you've spoken about that on the podcast before too, the the balance of that energy in all people. But it becomes this very like, I have to go it alone and I have to be ambitious, but it's just way more fun to be doing things with other people, with like-minded people, whether those are like-minded people in terms of wanting to support you from behind the scenes, or those are like-minded people that are in the trenches with you creating the very same thing that you are. Mm. You know, it's just way more fun to do it that way. And so, the I think there's a misconception and I certainly have had it many times in my life that we have to have we have to go it alone. We have to do it ourselves. And the truth is, we should never. Like, there's no need to ever go it alone. None of us can be everything that we need to be. You know, have all the knowledge all in uh, ourselves. We're all going to have dark times. We're all going to have you know, blank spots in terms of our knowledge or our experience. And that's where you absolutely need people around you who are better at things, who support you, who understand what your weaknesses might be. So they can help you, help you fill them or fill that spot, whether in your organization or in your personal life or however. And I think the more we acknowledge that we actually need other people in our life, the more successful that we can be at every.
0: Absolutely. You're, you know, talking about perspective and, you know, really kind of what you see is what you like, what you choose to look at and choose to see is what you'll get back. Right. A lot of people will see things like you said, you go in with one fresh one set of eyes and you see things that are ideal because of like the the perception that somebody else is giving you. But then you go in and you see things differently and it's really interesting how that works because i can resonate with that a lot it's like you're looking through this lens and sometimes it's foggy depending on the people and the conversations that you've had you'll you literally look at your reality with this like with this weird fog mm, mm-hmm. but then you know you can go into it the same situation and you can look at it with a fresh set of eyes and it looks totally different and the people you attract as well
1: i You know, there's an episode of my web series that that my book is inspired by, and there's an episode of my web series early on that I talk about the difference between being nervous and being excited. And I think this can apply to any circumstance, like this can apply to going into a party, into a social situation, like you're talking about, like like being around and seeing things through, you know, walking into a room full of people and what you actually see and who you connect with. This definitely applies to performing. I can, uh, I can tell you from firsthand experience, this 100% applies to a performing because this is where I figured it out. And, and what it is, is in very basic terms, not going into the deep science of it because I am not a scientist, but the, the physical sensations that we have when we are nervous and when we are excited are pretty much exactly the same. Your heart starts to raise, your breathing gets a little shallow, you might have butterflies in your stomach, certain muscles start to tense up, all of that stuff. It's essentially the same thing. The only difference, Is our perception of what might happen being a good thing, or our perception of what might happen being a bad thing? Is it oh my god, I don't know what's going to happen, or oh my god, I don't know what's going to happen? Is it it the only difference is that attitude? Do you perceive it as something horrible could possibly happen, and therefore I am nervous, or something amazing could possibly happen, and therefore I am excited? I remember I I was I I was doing an opera back in two thousand five, and it was the first time that I'd ever done an opera, so i was consistently terrified but that terror was was an excitement because i knew this is something i've never done before because my my training was specifically in theater and musical theater but i was i had been chosen to do this so i was like okay well someone chose me to do it which means i can do it i got no idea what's going to happen there but you can flip that nervousness of oh my god i should have been a doctor to that excitement of i i I'm brand new to this and this is a brand new world to me and and who knows what could possibly happen mm. um, and I remember thinking this very specifically back then cuz my running joke every time I would right before I went on stage was I should have been a doctor with been less restful and which is obviously not true going <laughs> no <laughs> one's going to die if you do a bad job on stage but but yeah that that perception of that worry that we can carry into a situation I think that's the fog you mm. we were talking about. And that's why I yeah. brought that up. And that's why I brought up that episode because that's the, that's the, that's sort of the, the, the blurriness that keeps you from, and people that are listening can't see me doing this with my hands, but I'm literally putting my hands in front of my face. That's that blurriness that blocks your vision because right in front of your face is sort of the words or are the words, I'm not good enough. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm afraid. I'm all like, that's kind of in your way. Mm. And when you can get rid of that and you can actually see through clearer eyes, then you can step out of your own head. You can step out of your own worry. You could step out of the spinning that goes on. Mm. You know, I call it the war in your head because we're all fighting it. It's just yeah. the question is, you know, is the war in your head for yourself or is the war in your head against yourself?
0: Totally. And, you know, I follow a lot of Dr. Joe Dispenza's work and it- it's it's literally about overcoming yourself every day. That's literally what it is. If you yeah. can do that in the morning, you just overcome the stories or, you know, the habits, the things that are from the past that we're bringing in. If you can just overcome that, your day gets so much better. But it's literally, that's what it is too. It's, it's like our, we create our own limitations within ourselves. It's oh, like sure. we, we think that other people are the ones stopping us or whatever, but usually most cases it's our own self. That we need to just overcome and get through. Right? A
1: lot of times, that that limitation, we may have developed that limit, that limiting belief in ourselves yeah. because of something someone else said, whether they meant it that way or not. So there is a there is an outside factor, you know, whether it's something someone said when you were four or something someone said when you totally. were forty. That that things can things can land and stick. Oh yeah. And that is definitely there. There are definitely outside forces at play, but I I agree with you because I. You know, ninety percent of what I thought was in my way for so many years was was a story I was telling myself. Yeah. You no, know, and I and and as an actor, it's funny. I I I recently over the, over this last year because over this last year I've, I've developed four ideas for books, and one of them we're we're talking about today. But there's there's three others coming. But one of the things that has hit me is that as an actor. You learn how to do so many of the things for your character. You learn how to do so many of the things that we as human beings need to be doing for ourselves.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: You know, you think about your character's motivation and you single-mindedly, like, that's what you're aiming for. That's what you're focused on. You step into the life of this character, the character you want to portray. Well, we should be doing that on a daily basis, stepping into our best selves, right? But we think, no, this this is the truth this thing that is right now, this is the be all end all. Mm. Rather than, but this is the me I see at my, in my greatest self. When I am feeling the most myself, this is the me I see. So I wanna step into that. And in order to step into that on a daily basis, one of the most important things we have to do is get right with our own thoughts. And that's tough. Yeah. It's really tough. I mean, I am not naturally, I don't think I was naturally born a particularly high serotonin high dopamine like i i don't think i was born a particularly all the time positive individual i think there's a big part of me that that employs protective pessimism there's a big part of sure me that that focuses on you know where's the danger and and so i've had to really develop a lot of tools to use through my life to maintain a baseline level of effectiveness To be able to not be living in those thoughts Mm -hmm. and that's part of stepping into that person that I know I want to be as much as possible and that person I know I can be and that person I know we all can be for ourselves which again is part of part of this book is wanting to give people more easy tools not necessarily not necessarily quick fixes but just simple practices you can put into your life that don't feel like changing your life. I love Dr. Joe Dispenza so much. And I love how he breaks down the neuroscience of everything. Because as soon as I read his books, I was like, see, okay, now, now I've got science to base out the spirituality. I've got the two of them completely hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Um, no one can mess with that in my head. I, the practices yeah. that he suggests in the books, I think for some people, require a time commitment that they feel is daunting. And so they may not, you know, a lot of people may look at an hour of meditating a day and be like, I just, I don't know how that's ever going to happen in my life. Right. Yeah. So sometimes it's kind of about tricking ourselves or fooling ourselves into putting those kinds of practices into your day until all of a sudden, look, I am spending most of my day doing it.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. i have always so fascinated by actors and, you know, that career choice of like how what makes somebody successful versus not and there's such a level of belief that you have to have because there's I I would love if you could speak to like you know going into this industry getting into it how did you develop that to be the confidence and the belief to be able to be like I can actually do this because there's always the stories of well it's impossible to do this. You can't do that. There's too many this. There's too many that. It's like, it was like that for me when I was trying to play professional hockey too. And now I look back and I'm like, wow, those were just stories. Why did I listen to that crap? Mm-hmm. And I'm just so fascinated how people are successful in that business because it it is challenging. You get no's a lot. But how did you develop such resilience as far as like being able to kind of be like, this is what I'm doing? I believe that I can do this mm-hmm. and I'm going to continue to do this. That doesn't just happen. How did you develop that?
1: No, it doesn't. Can I curse on this show? Of course. Are we, are we, are we PG-13 and up? Um, sheer fucking stubbornness to start with. Okay. Because if someone tells me I can't do something, chances are that's the thing I'm going to try to do. Love it. And, you know, I grew up in a family. Both my parents were surgeons, but they met acting in a play in medical school though, wow. so, I know which is a crazy, amazing story, and I don't know anyone else who has it, so I'm very proud to have that one. But so as a result, there was an appreciation for the arts. There was an understanding of the arts in the family, and my and both of them had a passion for it. The only question was, how do you make a career of it where you can have some sort of stability? And I think that's what all parents fear with their children. They want their pay, you know even when when it seems like parents are being overbearing and forcing kids into a certain career. Sometimes it, it's for the parents to just have their own bragging rights, but a lot of times it's mostly about, I'm worried about my kid having a stable, happy future, right? So for me, it was, I, I've, you know, I was a good student. I was, I was pretty much doing well at, at everything. And then around high school, I realized, oh, wait a minute, this thing that I love doing more than anything else that I'm doing at school is actually something that people do for a living. I was focused on theater at the time, because that's the most accessible, I think, of all of the arts. We all do school plays. We all have that, you know, available to us. And I was doing a lot outside of school, too. And when I finally realized that there were people doing it for a living in the world, that's when I started clocking. Okay, so then the path at the time, just like every other career at the time, was go to college, do the thing, right, whatever. And so my parents were very, very supportive about it, as long as they were very clear about we just need you to be very good at it, which so far you've proven you are kudos to you. And we need you to figure out how you're going to make a living. And if you're not going to be able to make a living right away as an actor, you need to figure out something else that you can do with it. Mm. No. And, but they were very clear about, we're all about it. Just make sure you have your ducks in a row to do all of these other things. And I'm sure they were also terrified. And it probably wasn't until like 10 years ago that they weren't worried about me just because, you know, their parents, that's their, that's what they do. My mom still worries about me, but just not as an actress. Yeah. So, so with them, I had this tremendous support system and with the rest of the world that was a little more judgy, it was, it was that stubbornness that I'm telling you that. Cause the second someone would say something, you know, I like to use the term meow, meow. Oh, meow, meow. Your life's going to be so hard. Meow, meow. Like that kind of stuff. The second someone uses that language with me, I'm like the fuck it will. I got the, don't tell me what I can't do. I'll tell you about while you're talking about what I can't do, I'm going to go do it. Peace out. Like I'll just get angry like that or I'll just get stubborn like that. And so I think that there was a, there was a big part of my, my, my inspiration to keep going was to prove that I could do it because it's what I wanted to do. After that, I will say that probably my, it probably served me a lot that I am very hard on myself. And I I know it served me a lot for a very long time that I'm very hard on myself, which means my expectations were very, very, very high of what I could do. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that that's a great practice to have long term. And I'm actually working on breaking myself of some of those expectations now. But early on, it definitely served me because the sense of something, again, it sounds very negative, but like this isn't good enough was actually very important to me doing better.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Now I'm much more careful evaluating versus judging. Like when I say something isn't good enough, it's an evaluation. It's not a moral judgment of me as a human being. Before I had conflated the two a lot. You know, I'm not good enough. Therefore I am a failure. Okay, no, that's not how that works. This audition wasn't good enough. How do you make it better? That's how that works. You know, learn from the people around you. Um. So that, yeah, Sorry, go ahead.
0: No, no, I was just gonna, I wanna break down that process. Like for somebody, okay, so you're, say something doesn't work out. You got, you got some sort of like block. You didn't get a role. Like, how do you bounce back? Like, what, what is the, what is the method for kind of without sitting in it? Because people will sit in it and be like, Oh, I suck. I did this audition. I didn't get it. Blah, blah, blah. So I just, I'm fascinated how there's people that are like, all right, like you said, I'm going to do better. But like, what's that process look like?
1: It doesn't look as quick as what you just described. And I think the one of the disservices we do ourselves is think it has to be one or the other. It's either I fall into a deep depression or I just let it roll off my back and I just go. And I think there is a middle ground that certainly is, at least for me, there's a middle ground because if I don't acknowledge my feelings, they will just come up and bite me in the ass on a regular basis. If I don't actually let myself feel the disappointment of a rejection, I... I will. It will come up somewhere else. It will start bubbling up somewhere else. The for me, the difference is when I when I do this gracefully because I don't always do it gracefully. I'm human, But when I do have a graceful moment after a disappointment, it is because I have managed to separate the disappointment from rejection. There's a wonderful actor who has has done these these. Beautiful audition. I'm going to look it up right now, so you can have it. Actually, hang on a second. Well, I'll, I'll I'll give it to you in the show notes. But but he's a friend of mine, and he has done these beautiful audition videos. And there, one of the things that he says in them is, if you go into an audition and say twenty people audition for it, there is no there is nothing changing the fact that only one person is going to get it. That means one person has been chosen. Not that 19 have been rejected. It's not a rejection. It is not a it is not someone saying you're not good enough. It's not someone saying you aren't a good enough person and or you're ugly or whatever. It's not any of those things. It just means that they picked one person. They've gone shopping. You know, that's that's all that has happened there. They've gone shopping for something. And 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 that mindset of, okay, I just I wasn't rejected. I just wasn't chosen. That helps because a lot of times it has nothing to do with your acting a lot of times it has nothing to do with anything you have any control over right so that's one thing just a, just a thing to put in my head but when i am graceful about it i separate the disappointment from the moral judgment of not getting the job and that is a very difficult thing to do yeah it's a very difficult thing to do but it i find that it works in any circumstance when it comes to rejection is is remembering finding a way to yes let myself feel terrible because i'm disappointed but not allow those voices in my head that say, man, I didn't get this job. I'm such a failure. No, you didn't get this job and you're disappointed. I really wanted this job. You're, Boy, I really wanted this job. And you would start, like, If you had a little kid come to you and say, I really wanted this thing, you wouldn't tell them, well, you're a failure because you didn't get it. So congratulations. You'd be like, I know, I know how sad you are right now. I know, and that sadness sucks, doesn't it? I know that sadness sucks. What can we do? What can we do right now? So letting myself feel it is number one priority because my body will not let me hold on to, my body will not let me hide from emotions. It's just not something I'm good at. After that is the thinking through. And it can be right after that. It can be days after that. You know, depends on how long it takes me to, to process that disappointment. Is the evaluation process. Well, did I, did I really do as good as, did I do as much work on this as I should have? Did I make these right choices? Were these the right, like, did I really think about the choices? Was there anything that i left on the table? Is there, when I find out who got it, what do I think that they had that I didn't have? Is it something that I could have changed or is it just something that is innately them? You know, really starting to look at it the way I assume football coaches look at plays after, you know, after you break down a game where people lost, where the team lost. I say I assume because I know nothing about sports ball games. That's
0: how I call, it goes, yeah.
1: I call them sports games precisely because I know nothing about them. So I want people to know that I know nothing. I mean, I know like just enough. Thankfully, my husband has taught me enough about football that I could really enjoy any given Sunday. But other than that, I'm not particularly, I can't, I'm not particularly great at at keeping up, but, but yeah, so it's really that, 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 the peeling away of disappointment from rejection that is, that is a big thing for me. And also, I mean, I hate to say this, but the more it happens, the better you get at it. If, if you aren't letting if you aren't really like whining and dining and taking to dinner those voices that are telling you you suck because yes you're right like as an actor you get told no infinitely more times than you get told yes you know and at and people at the top of their game people at the people a-list actors get fired from movies just because they weren't the right fit You know, it it, it, and that disappointment happens at every stage. And thinking that it only happens when you're down here as opposed to like when I finally have made it, no one will say no to me. That's just, that's a myth. You're going to have to feel these things along the way. So learning how to process them the whole time is, learning how to process them through your whole journey, I think is more the the goal.
0: I think that is so important what you said though, because having that process and having that self-reflection Mm-hmm. is everything because you have to know if you don't look at what you've done what did I do what could I do better then how are you going to move forward properly like you really right. have to do that and I I think that's so valuable that I always I'm fascinated how high performers are able to you know methodically look at that you know I've been really studying and listening to a lot, a lot of audiobooks around athletes like Michael Jordan like I'm listening to Relentless or Tim Grover like what makes these athletes so incredible? And the same thing in actors, the, the high performers that are able to create these amazing careers. It's like it's not accidental. It's it's that it's that feeling of like, all right, when shit hits the fan, which it happens for all of us, but how do you move out of that and into the next thing? Mm-hmm. And that is the difference because so many people allow that as that's who they're defined as and that's why it's so important to know exactly like you know that it's just a matter of really being honest with yourself right and just like reflecting and knowing that this is done I got to feel it I got to understand that this really sucks but then you don't want to get lost in that and become that
1: Right, And you have to acknowledge, just like I, I really want to I want I was trying to multitask here and find you the link to Michael's classes. His name is Michael Kostroff. You, if, you, if you saw him, you would recognize it in the show him. notes. yeah, you, if you saw him, you would recognize him from like a gazillion different movies and TV shows. And it's been such a gift to the world that he has put these courses up and it's called Audition Psych. Because it is, it's all about the, it's all about the psychology behind them. it's all about this. It is all about what you are carrying. And that is the same thing for the athletes. And part of the psych part of the psychology is be aware of the world you're working in, be aware of the pitfalls of the acting career. So you don't take like the, just the basic tough truths of it. So you don't take those personally. So you don't turn it into a, why me? You know, that athletes, successful athletes, don't turn it into a why me. You know, they they keep moving through it. And I think what's really cool about what you were just talking about with athletes, too, is reading the books of the coaches, like the mindset coaches that they've worked with. Right now, I'm just I'm I'm just now I've just now picked up at the at the behest of a friend and coach of mine, picked up a book called The Power of Full Engagement. Mm. which is uh, a book by Jim Lohr. And and I I don't know the other author, but I got so excited. It was Jim Lohr because I had read years ago, I had read his book, Toughness Training for Life.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And he was talking about applying the things that he teaches, mindset things that he teaches, mindset practices he teaches to his athletes, to those of us who are non-athletes. Because athletes have to train themselves, not just physically, but mentally and emotionally and spiritually to perform at their best for that 10% of the time that they are competing. Mm -hmm. So 90% of the time they are training themselves for that time. We, this is what's cool about the powerful engagement. We as, as, you know, mortal humans who are not full-time athletes, we don't give ourselves the same practices and we expect so much more of ourselves time-wise. We expect eight, 12, 16 hours of linear, constant being at our best without putting in practices for us to recover, without putting in practices for us to have mental recovery, without putting in practices for emotional, spiritual recovery. So how can we expect to ourselves? How can we expect ourselves to operate our best if we're not cleaning those up? And one of the biggest ones that like we were just talking about is how do you move on to the next point? Yeah, How do you move on to the next point? I I am learning much to my chagrin, but it's very true. I am learning that I move so quickly on to the next point that I forget a vital part of recovery, which my husband hearing me say this now is going to make him jump for joy in the corner. A very vital part of recovery is taking the win. If you've just succeeded massively at something, you need to acknowledge that. Mm. And you don't just need to acknowledge that because good for you, yay for me. I need to feel good. Like there are actually, there is neuroscience on it. Dr. Andrew Huberman has a whole, he does this interview. He, there's an interview with him at yeah. Tom Yeah,
0: it's amazing. I saw it. But, yeah. but
1: You saw that, right? Yeah. Well, he specifically talks about how important it is to take the W, even if it's the smallest, tiny W, in in your day, because it enables you to, to, it enables the dopamine pathways to keep firing without completely de- depleting you. Now, I've just done like the total layperson's explanation of that, so please go listen to that interview so you can get the real science behind it. But it is, it's vital. It's vital to your system. I have a habit of, I call it a student syndrome, of being like, yeah, yeah, yeah great, I got an A, that's expected of me. Let me move on to the next one because the next one I have to worry about. I better worry about that next one because I can't get a B on that. And so it's sort of that, like it's it's that yeah 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 I got that yeah 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 I brushed my teeth, you know that that A is just like brushing my teeth. I expected that of myself, so I can't clock it. Kind of, have to clock it. You're yeah, have to even if I just even if I don't clock it out loud, I'm now doing a much better job of clocking it in my heart, and I'm writing it out in my morning practices and 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 stuff like that.
0: Yeah, I think I was actually filming a video about this. Is that keeping the promises with yourself? is so important at building that confidence. So it's like the littlest things in the morning, whether it's I'm going to get up at this time, I'm going to make my bed, I'm going to do the things. If you can nail those every single day, just the simple things, that's literally what gives you that confidence for the rest of your day. Because then you don't want to slack in business because you're like, oh, I'm kind of winning the day already. I've done the things I said I was going to do. I don't want to eat bad. I want to go to the gym because I want to keep this going. Yep. And it's, it's like fun. those little wins will give you that feeling of of actual, that and that what installs that belief too, which is allows you to really feel better about your day. Because if you're constantly, you know, looking at these things and either doing them and not really acknowledging them or just moving on to the next thing, or it feels like it like throws, for me personally, it throws my day off if I'm not, Doing those things, and I'm not acknowledging those things along the way, and mm-hmm. I think it really helps because, you know, what makes a good day versus a bad day, right? If you really break down your day, like what makes you feel good by the end, and what makes you feel like it was kind of a shit day.
1: Mm-hmm. You brought up a very important phrase, which is the promises to yourself. Yeah, making the promises to yourself because so much. I had a therapist once tell me it's very simple to build self-esteem: do things you find esteemable. There's your simple answer. It's not easy, but it's simple. And I think I I know for myself, because I'm structurally struggling with this in one aspect of my life recently where I've had so many expectations of myself that I haven't been able to keep my promises to myself in one aspect. And I finally had to give over to, this is not your priority right now. You need to stop promising yourself you're going to do this because you're letting yourself down every single day that you don't.
2: Mm. So
1: accept the fact that right now is not the time for this. And that is okay. Keep the promise. Keep the other promises. Don't completely let you off the hook. Period. Let yourself off the hook. Period. But make sure that you are making promises that you can keep and then keeping them, because there is a whittling down of your your own. I don't want to say your self worth, but there's a sort of like when you're you know when you're not on you're not right with yeah. yourself. Yes, yeah, so- very hard. And I I tell you, I take compliments worse when I'm not right with myself precisely because I'm like, well, I know the truth about me. You guys don't know, but I know I'm failing myself. And I'm saying that in this ridiculous voice that you're hearing me say it right now, because it's a ridiculous thing to be saying, you know, you still should be taking the wins for the things that you're winning at. But if you're disappointing yourself in other areas, you got to look at that and say, okay, are my expectations realistic right now? Or am I expecting myself to be a superhero in a way that I can't be at this moment? And that I maybe don't need to be or want to be. Mm. Perhaps your priorities are just different in the moment. You know, I think that, I think it's, it's very important. The words letting yourself off the hook sound very like, it doesn't sound like the work of an ambitious person to let yourself off the hook. So I just, I, I prefer to call it adjusting my expectations.
0: I feel like there's like a balance. It's like, you can't let yourself off the hook per se, but it's also not good to beat yourself up because then it kind of yeah, it's the purpose. It's like, oh shit, I didn't do my gratitude today. I suck. It's like I think
1: it's eating right? the whole you know.
0: Hang on
1: a second, that's a little bit on the extreme there, too. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Like
0: oh, I didn't do it. I just suck at life. It's like, but that's literally sometimes these routines we can be like, oh, my worth is wrapped up in this thing. If I don't do it, then you know. But. It's like okay, well, I didn't do it. Let's let's understand why I didn't do it, but it doesn't have to define you. You got to move on. You can't. You got to learn, but you can't beat yourself up. It's like a fine dance between the two, and I think we all go through it sometimes.
1: Oh my god, right? so you're you're making me laugh because this is so much. Like there was a chunk of time this year where it was it was absolutely ridiculous. What you just described was exactly <laughs> yeah. me. I had I had I had I had so many ways that I was quantifying whether I was doing well or not. Like whether I was being a good girl or not, like so many different, I had the whip on my hand and I had the, and I had the tracker and I had the this and I had all these things and I was keeping track of and I realized how unhappy it was making me because I was constantly tracking things, but not necessarily experiencing them, Mm. you know? And so what I, what I have been newly working with is yes, I have certain morning touchstones that never change just because they're like super easy and they bring me joy. I shouldn't say never that i 99% of the time they're, they're there. But for the most part, my morning routine is like, there's a bag of 30 different things that I could do in the morning to make the morning great. And each day I might pick different ones depending on how I feel that morning because there look, there are so many people out there with incredible practices and incredible suggestions of how you could win the morning and win the day and all of these things. And I just find it very prescriptive and restrictive to choose only one and to choose only one set. And again, you know me, when I'm like, someone tells me I have to do something, I'm not going to do it. And someone tells me I can't do something, I am going to do it. So (laughs) I like to choose. I like to choose what's going to, if if there's one rule that I live my life by for better or for worse, it's my choice. It's my choice. If I'm going to do something stupid, it's because I chose it. If I'm going to do something awesome, it's because I chose it. No one can tell me what to do. Rah, rah, rah. Like that's kind of the, the, the little girl in me is, is, is always that way. So I love having this beautiful toolbox that I can add to every time I listen to a great podcast or read a great book or talk to someone successful. I can add all of these tools to the toolbox, but ultimately it's up to me which ones to use on a daily basis. And just like as an actor, same thing, when you go to acting class and you learn all these different techniques, ultimately it's up to you when you go on set or you go on stage, which one's going to serve you? They're, no one is looking at your technique. No one's looking at your gratitude practice. They're looking at how you are in the world. They're looking at how you are on stage. They're looking at that finished product. So it's up to us to choose which ones work for us the best. And that's also the sign of someone who is just becoming a virtuoso at life. Because... It's what you do with all the tools. It's not the specific tools that make you great. It's that's just technique. That's a ballet dancer at the bar. You know, that's it's a wonderful, important thing, but and you have to be facile with it. But ultimately it's up to you how you use them. And we all evolve, we I mean, all change. we we're 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 all in different states of flow and out of flow and whatever. So why shouldn't our practices also reflect that?
2: Hmm.
0: I agree. It's useless if you don't use it. You can read all the books, you can do all the things, all the healing. But if you don't apply it, it's just another thing.
1: And also, if you choose something that doesn't work for you, don't do it. Yeah. If someone says this is the greatest practice of all time and it doesn't work for you, it's not the greatest practice of all time for you. Don't use it. Take what you can and leave the rest. Take what you want and leave the rest.
0: Was there somebody that stands out to you along the way that really inspired you that you you worked with in a in a movie or TV that you were like, wow, that person really just like there's something there that you just that just kind of blew you away. Is there anybody that stands out? Because I'm always interested as to like, you know, I can only relate with myself as an athlete. You know, there's certain people you're like, wow, like I didn't expect that person to be so, or even people I interviewed talk to, I'm just like, wow, they stand out. You know, is there anybody that, ha- that has like kind of impacted you over the years that comes to mind? I mean, I'm sure there's- so
1: t- oh, many, so, so many. I mean, if you're specifically talking about performers, I mean, it's, it's I, I, the list is very long and for different reasons. Yeah. Very, very long for different reasons. Since I happen to be in Chicago right now, my mind is very much on my beloved friend, Mary Zimmerman, who is the first director I worked with out of school and who I went on to do 18 productions with because she's magical. And she, I I mean, the way she sees the world, she has, she's incredibly well-read, eloquent, just a brilliant mind. She won the MacArthur Genius Grant back in the day. Like she's, she's, she's brilliant. And yet she has the ability to look at the world with a childlike wonderment. And put that on stage. And that is the thing about her productions that tends to set it apart. That's kind of the fingerprint that she has put on her productions is that it still feels like one way or the other, no matter how big the production it still feels like a bunch of kids putting on a play in their backyard. There's just something about it that feels very uh, freeing mm. and allows the audience to put their stamp on it, allows forces the audience to use their own imagination. And and I've always ever you know ever since meeting her that tenacity that she has towards seeing the world in imagery and being touched by sounds and sights and being touched by one line one line in an ancient text might inspire her to do an entire show. Mm-hmm. One visual we did we did a play called *Metamorphoses* that we brought to Broadway back in 2000. I think we went to Broadway in 2002. We brought it to New York in 2001 and one of the key sections of the show a few of the key sections of the show came from an image that she had seen whether it was that there was a there was a painting of cupid and psyche that inspired that section there was one particular sort of like passage in in ovid's metamorphoses that inspired a whole story like she just takes moments and is like oh this this thing i see this thing and i want to expand on it i want to make it bigger i want to make it more beautiful and so the artistry with which she sees the world has been very influential for me. Also, I'll just say, I mean, there's a a teen people that I have worked with who, again, A-list actors are also the most gracious, who are also the most gracious. And I, one of my, my, one of the phrases that is out in the world that I hate the most is never meet your heroes. Implying that you will be disappointed by them because in my experience, the most talented brilliant humans that I've met also happen to be the most gracious and humble humans that I've ever met. I love that. You know, whether it's in passing, whether it is, you know, I do a lot of fan conventions and I have the opportunity to, to when I'm there and and meeting them as a peer, I have an opportunity to have a conversation with them, but those things are tiring and people might be at the end of their day and they may be, you know, just completely wiped. And again, the most talented, lovely human beings Happen to they? They will. They will sit there and tell you, "Thank you so much," and be present with you in those moments. And this might sound so random, but I had the most wonderful conversation with Jonathan Frakes, who people know as uh, Commander Riker from uh, Star Trek: The Next Generation and Picard. And he and he was a huge part of of my younger years because I grew up on the original Star Trek and on The Next Generation. And so getting to sit and chat with him for a while as a peer and, and be able to talk about theater and everything was so great. But the thing that struck me the most is his excitement, <sighs> his excitement and his gratitude for what he is doing. You know, we, we sat there and talked for an hour in the, the airport lounge while we were waiting for our flight and talked about aren't we so lucky to get to do the things that we do with the people that we get to do them with? Now, Grant, he's doing them on a completely different level than I am, and he's you know been on that show for years and years, and now he's directing so much, so it's a different lane. But he has that same gratitude for it that I do, that same excitement for it that I do. So that also, to me, I mean, everybody that I have met who, I, who, who has touched me, in the, in the entertainment field has that too, has the, has the deep appreciation, like, yeah, there's the crap that we have to put up with, you know, 90 times, nine times out of 10, you're not getting paid for the job you're doing. You're getting paid for the period in between jobs where you're putting up with the hustle, right? That's what you're really making the money for. But everybody who has really influenced me as a performer just comes at it with this, this, can you believe we get to do what we do? And how awesome is it that we get to do what we do? And isn't it fun to be good at it? Isn't it fun to be good at it so that you can bring it to other people? Well, but the acknowledgement of you have to be there is a certain amount of you have to admit that you're good at it because you're doing it. But isn't that fun, too, because you can give it to more people. You can share it with more people. That's exciting. I haven't ever met her yet yet, and I know it's going to happen. but Kristen Chenoweth is is, very inspiring to me for that reason. Because there's just a light behind everything that she does and an enthusiasm and a, and a sense of service behind everything that she does. You, you definitely feel like she's not in it just for herself. She's in it for the people that she's giving her art to. And I feel very much the same way, that this would be a very stupid career to be in if we were doing it only for ourselves. You know, it's, okay. it, there's no reason to be to, to really to put up with the stuff that you're putting up with if it's not for a greater purpose. And that greater purpose has to be taking people on a journey that they can't go on without you. Yeah. You know, I'm so excited to be able to do that with people.
0: Yeah, it's beautiful. You know, one thing that came to me, kind of the same thing, is that when I got to sit down and have a conversation with Jack Canfield, Mm. that was like, you know, because I was thinking, oh, is this guy going to be like some kind of, like I didn't know what to think because you see people like that and you think he's too good to be true and person is yeah. not gonna be like he's like you're like it can't be possible it's he's not, not gonna an be an asshole or something and whatever you know I'm an optimistic person but I was really nervous about that mm-hmm. you know all the you know secret law of attraction all this stuff and I remember just being like I almost get chills talking about it because like we had such a good conversation he was like I was sitting down with my uncle that I've known for years. And he was generally interested and he was generally excited. And, you know, he's got like sitting behind him, he's got like thousands of books and we're talking about law of attraction. I'm like, I can't believe this guy is such a nice guy. Mm -hmm. Like he's such a nice human. I'm like, he doesn't have to be nice to me. Like he could just be one of these people. And I was just so grateful for that because for me, that stands out as somebody like that, that is just. No matter how successful you get, you know, you got to keep that humbleness and that that kindness and just, you know, it was just such a beautiful moment. So I completely relate, you know, and it's sometimes it's the people that think they're way bigger that are actually the ones that are, you're like, what are you even cocky about? Like, and it's like the people like that are like, I was just blown away and it taught me so much. And it just like, I always remember that because you know, that was just such a big thing. It impacted me so much. And it's so beautiful when you can you can have that with somebody that you admire. Oh, so,
1: it's so special. And and I don't know if you find this, but I certainly find this. It takes way more energy to be a dick. Yeah. I have no interest in that. Anytime that I've had a, a confrontation that I am not happy about how I dealt with, it takes so much out of me. Even when I am happy with how I dealt with the confrontation, like that kind of like not just not being nice takes a lot out of me, and sometimes you have to do it, and that is required of life sometimes. But I'm 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 more surprised by people, whether in Jack Hanfield's position or or you know famous TV stars. I am always I'm more surprised by people who are assholes than I am by the people who are gracious, because it does seem to me like, huh, how how, how does that? How does that serve you? I know it must be serving you one way or the other. You must think it is, but how does it? Yeah no. I don't know, I don't know. I, it just feels like it must be very isolating and very um angering and and i I know I would not be able to sustain it.
0: no no yeah
1: it's it, it takes a lot of energy.
0: Mm. What would you say was your your biggest weakness that you're working on?
1: I think to this day it's my self-talk. It's not a it's not a new one. It just presents itself in, in other ways. Mm. You know, my my demons are very clever. I have a I have a very clever brain. And and you know, my brain, I, I joke, my brain can be my creativity can be used for the powers of good and can be used for the powers of evil. And then they are simultaneously at work in my own head. But I, I think that is ongoing probably the thing I work at the most. I don't know that I'd call it a weakness at this point. It's just something that I have to keep an eye on because yeah. if I'm not consistent with what I know, with my own what I call emotional hygiene, if I'm not consistent with putting the things in practice that I need to do to to let those voices die off, because I'm not listening to them, then they'll just start to get a little bit louder and louder and louder. Right now, another challenge that I have is that I am not very good at. I'm learning to be better at uh, delegating. And allowing myself to not be the one that has to pull everything off at the exact same time, and not just delegating to other people, but just even even just saying, okay, you can do all of these things, you just can't do them all now. So put it on the calendar for another day. Like plan it out. Make sure that okay, so this is going to happen in January because you know you don't have the time right now, and that's okay. You know, and that that self-talk will come in and try to tell me, oh God, you know, you're not working hard enough. You're not doing this. You're not, you haven't earned this. You You haven't earned the win. Whatever things will pop into my head to keep me working too hard or keep me too busy, but not productive. That's a big challenge for me right now. You know, I, I, I get really excited and I want to do everything right now. I want to start, you know, I want to start a project yesterday. And I got a lot of projects and a lot of exciting things in my head that I will beat myself up for not doing. Mm. Again, that self-talk, right? Yeah. Rather than saying, okay, cool, then put it on the calendar and let's plan for it at a future date. Mm. You know, that feels like a more practical going back to the promises you keep to yourself. That feels like a more practical way to say, "Awesome, we'll do this." If we were planning a family vacation, we would say, "Awesome, we'll do it when we can all get together, which looks like it might be May next year. We wouldn't be mad at ourselves for not being able to do four family vacations right now.
2: Mm.
1: You know, so so I think that I think right now that's kind of my 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 biggest weakness because it is a it is a thief of joy. And joy is probably the most creative source that I have if i'm being if I'm really like looking inward and thinking about it. So anything that is a thief of my joy is not, you know, it's just at the, at the, you know, at the least, it's not productive at the worst. It's taken away my joy, which is the whole point of being here on the planet. So, you know, that, that is a, that's a big one right now. I mean, I could probably sit here and list like 10 more.
0: (laughs) I just, I like (laughs) like that question. I I think it's a great
1: question. It's a great question. And it's always something, it's something it's something that's great to look at as what is the what's sort of the umbrella weakness under which your you, the things that are bothering me are are covered. you know, and I think that is that I think the umbrella is is a combo of uh, certain self-talk with the expectations of everything happening right, right right now, and me doing all of it.
0: The reason I like that is that what it shows to the listeners is it shows the level of self-awareness that you have, right? And that is so important is that it's because people see success and they see someone like yourself and they think, oh, everything's perfect all the time, whatever. Right. So I like to figure that out and ask, you know, like, what are you working on? Because that shows just what you said is so valuable for people because it's important to have that self-awareness because if you're not aware of it, how are you ever going to work through it or get
1: back? Absolutely. 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 No, it is. It is a great question. And one of my, you know, (laughs) I've, I've, I've written about this too, that I know it's so easy for, for people to say, Oh, it's easy for you because, or it's easy for her or it's easy for him because, because I used to say that all the time. Yeah. Yeah. It's easy for them to handle that. Once I'm where they are, everything will be easy. Yeah. Guess what? There, there are, there are struggles that continue along. They may be slightly different struggles, but your Achilles heel is probably going to try to rear its head in many different ways. It's a terrible mixed analogy there, but a mixed metaphor there. But, it, you know, it's going to present itself over and over again in different ways. And it's up to you to be aware enough to be like, mm, there's that old habit. There's that old habit of shitting on myself again. Let me fix that because that's going to get in my way. There's my old habit of giving a moral judgment to something that isn't a moral question on myself. So let me work on that. And yeah, the the it's easy for you, quote unquote, is such a natural place for all of us to go when we are trying to give ourselves a reason why we shouldn't try. And I had to call myself out on that one. Hard core, because
0: I've been in love. Do you ever get the it must be nice comment? from
1: <laughs> I do. But usually when someone says it must be nice, as opposed to well, it's easy for you. I feel like it's easy for you comes from a, I want to do what you're doing, but I can't because I don't have X, Y, Z. And that's someone that I actually want to help. Yeah, the It must be nice is just cynicism and I don't deal with cynicism. Yeah. It's, and I also will probably come back with a smackdown if someone tries to do something like that.
0: You yeah. Know? That's a comment that Cameron Haynes, one of Joe Rogan's good friends, this is like a, a running joke with him is that people he people used to say, Oh, it must be nice to do whatever. And he's like, look, it's like, look, fucker, I work my ass off for this. Yeah. Like, and it's just like a joke now. Cause it's like, there's always these sure. people. Oh, it must be nice that you're da, 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 da. And you're like, look, you have no idea what I've had to go through. Like right. what I've overcome. And, like, it's just such a thing that I think people need to be aware of too. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Don't ever say that to somebody. Don't even. It's
1: certainly not a way to go. I mean, I do feel like, you know, if someone says it must be nice, X, Y, Z, chances are they are talking about something that's nice. They're like, yeah, that part is nice. The not nice part is all the stuff I had to go through to to get there. That is nice. That is nice. That is is an accurate (laughs) statement. It is. It's very nice. Thank you. My hard work paid off. Thank (laughs) you for that.
0: Tell us about your book. Let's, let's, let's talk about sure. it. Yeah. Sure. It's Get good. into it.
1: Yeah. The book is called I am fun size. And so are you thoughts from a tiny human on living a giant life. And because I am a petite human, I am a tiny human and I have thoughts on living a giant life as we have. Uh, I love it. And it is inspired by the web series that i started back in 2017 which i started sort of as a love letter to the amazing online community that i had met through the the games and the shows that i had done at that particular time the largest community that i was connecting with was uh the fan base of a game called overwatch that was that was at that time but it was people all over being very generous with themselves and their art and a lot of people would dm me personal questions that i didn't necessarily feel qualified to you know, counsel people on because I'm not a doctor. I just play them on TV. And, but I didn't want to help. You know, I really wanted to be, I wanted to be able to be the big sister. I wanted to be able to share my experiences. And I kind of conflated the two desires because when people were being so generous with their art, I thought, okay, well, this is a chance for me to put something out there. And the most important thing and the most unique thing that I have to offer are my experiences and what I have learned from them. So I started this series where people could write into to this f- public-facing email address, Anjali at Iamfunsize.com. They could write in their their personal questions and I would do a video about, well, this is kind of, this is an experience that I had that's similar to that. And let me tell you how it worked out for me. Or this is one of the tricks that I trick myself into, you know, take it or leave it, whatever. And it ended up being I'm very happy to say it ended up touching a lot of people. It ended up being very popular and and became the one thing at conventions when I would finally meet these folks one-on-one, a lot of people would say, Hey, this episode changed my life. Or I went out and like, I, I, I pushed through my social anxiety and I got this job because of this episode. And I can't tell you how rewarding those moments are, you know, it it's, it's because what else are we doing it for? Right. Other than to, to, touch people and helps them in their in their lives in a greater way. So people have been asking for for years for me to turn it into a book and I finally decided to do it. So here we are and it's uh it's a sort of a combination like the series it's a combination of of my own life stories so sort of like part memoir, part humor, part because everything you got to deal with a little bit of a laugh with everything even the darkest times you got to laugh. So true. So true. And then also just like tips and tricks and insights that I have drawing from different resources, just like we have during this conversation. I talk about that that Andrew Huberman, Tom Bilyeu interview and and other things, and just like catchphrases that I'll use with myself. The way I describe the book is it's your buddy in a book. It's a, it's a, it's an easy read it's something you pick up. You can flip to the middle and read a section. You can flip to the end. you you don't need to read it linearly. There's a bunch of different sections. There are gorgeous and adorable illustrations by one of the gals that I met through um, the fan art community who is an extraordinary artist named Vivian Trong. And she's done these beautiful illustrations of me and my dog, Charlie, because I, a little Charlie dog, is a brilliant little animal. And I have learned a lot about life from this dog. So, so yeah, that is, the, the book is there. And it's, so we have a Kickstarter running right now for the first sort of, I'm calling the Kickstarter exclusive version for people who want to get it before it goes out into the world so it's sort of like a personal author copies version
0: that's awesome
1: yeah and i give people a little bit of an extra extra access to me before we turn it into something that that goes out to the mass market
0: that's the way i did my book too the crowdfunding oh great yeah it's cool because you you people get to be part of the journey you know from the you know it's 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 kind of fun too and I think it's a great way to do it. Like, you know, your your yours might be different than mine, but I found it to be really, really cool at like the process of like, it's not just like, here guys, I have a book. It's kind of like a, it's 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 like a journey. You
1: know? Absolutely. Well, and what I, I, I wrote the book for them. I wrote mm-hmm. the book for, for other people to read it. And so to be able to give more back as people are helping us support this book, and also to know that people are actually excited and interested in reading the book. To be honest, I've been, you know, I've been in, in, in edits during the Kickstarter and there are through the Kickstarter, there have been so many moments where I'm like, Oh, you know what? I'm going to add this section now. Oh, you know, this person mentioned that I remember. Oh yeah. Let me add more. So I think I, I actually think the process of connecting with people through the Kickstarter is, is going to affect the book considerably, which is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Cause I do, I want it to be I want it to be what is useful to the to people, not what I want to write.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. What was the biggest what was the most challenging part of writing the book? Because it it <laughs> does force you to really like look at some stuff and just be, you know, there's obviously a major amount of presence that needs to be be there. And there's just a lot of, it's a lot of work, right? I mean, what was the biggest challenge for you with that process?
1: What was and continues to be the biggest challenge with that process as I'm working through edits is finding the space and time to be just single-minded focused on the book. Yeah, There was one point during the process where I had to just like, between two conventions, I stayed out, I stayed in Atlanta in a hotel room, locked myself in that hotel room for four days and just wrote and just worked on it. And for me, it it definitely, I have to acknowledge the fact that I am easily distracted and that I will do 20 other things that need to get done, but I will do 20 other things if I I allow myself to get distracted. Doing it at home is very, very difficult. In order to be able to write the book at home, I had to get up at four o'clock in the morning when nothing was going on and just set myself to writing then. But it really, I mean, uh, the hardest part of it is the act of writing it. That is, that's basically it. The act of sitting down and doing it. The the topics and the actual writing comes very easy to me, particularly because this is so personal. Yeah. And it does feel like, you know, I'm having a conversation with a younger sibling or I'm having a conversation with my niece or my nephew who, who are very much on my mind as I was writing this, you know, because they're both in their twenties now. And that's like, that's that age when... Your, your brain is telling you, you know, everything and yet you're still having to figure things out. And so how, how do you figure those things out? How do you, how do you allow yourself the freedom to not know something so that you can learn it? You know, that's a, that's a, that's a big thing. So yeah, it's, it's just the sitting down and writing it. Finishing these edits has been, <laughs> especially because we started the Kickstarter right when I was in the middle of edits. So, so that's been, that's been, that was. Not going to put planning on my part. Going back to that weakness of mine of wanting to do all the things right now, but it's going to get done. And I'm very like I said. I mean, we already uh, we're we're on a great timeline to be able to get these to at least be able to get these Kickstarter exclusives out to people first, and then we're going to take our time with how we bring it out into the into mm-hmm. the greater public.
0: Do you find it's challenging sometimes because you think of stuff and you're like, oh, I should have put that in. I got to put that in. Like that's what I keep doing. I'm like, oh, yeah. why didn't I think of that?
1: You that's what I keep remember that. Myself. I keep telling myself that's for the sequel. That's for the sequel. That's, what that's what I for do. the sequel. You could
0: literally make three books, right? It's yeah. like
1: I well, that was the that was a challenge when I was actually allowing myself to send in the first draft because I had I had put up post its on my on my wall of all of the sections that I wanted to write, and there were like twenty more sections that I could have written, and the, the book was already like three hundred pages long, and I said, you know what, think us slow good. We could replace one of these sections if we find out through the editing process that we need to. And I have a wonderful editor who's helping me with that. But let's, uh, let's, let's, let's get this baby out into the world. It doesn't have to be perfect. It has to be out in the world. Yeah. And that was, I'd say that was the biggest challenge to starting. That was not the biggest challenge to the writing process, but it was definitely the biggest challenge to starting. And, and honestly, it was the biggest challenge to starting the, the web series too, was this fear of it's not good enough yet. It's not perfect. And one of my dear friends who came on the series early on, one of her pieces of advice was don't let perfection be the enemy of good, which we've heard, you know, there's so many people, right? Strong, great imperfect action, right? That's that's one of the biggest things that they say as you, as an entrepreneur or whatever, just take it, just take massive imper- imperfect action. It's really hard when you're like an overachiever A plus students to be like, oh, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. not good enough, but you, it's really not good enough. It's stuck in your head.
0: Mm. Somebody, there was a quote. They said, "I forget who said it, but perfection is a sign of fear taking over or something."
1: really mm. Perfectionism, sure, it is. It absolutely is. It's a great excuse not to do something. Yeah. It's a very noble way of saying, "I'm not going to do it right now," because it sounds. It makes you know. I when I say it to myself, I'm like, "Oh, I seem like I'm so off. You know, I want it to be perfect. Okay, well then, come on." Yeah. I'm sure you want it to be perfect that's that's great, but i I think you should want it to be out in the world more because it's not doing anybody any good in your brain for sure, you know, and it certainly doesn't I'll tell you I don't expect that to my, of myself on stage because I know full well that something there is no perfection mm. in that way there's there is there if you're aiming for perfect, you're aiming for the wrong thing,
0: yeah. What is, who's making the rules? Like, what is that? Ah, What
1: does that mean exactly? What does perfect mean to you? Is it, (laughs) that's another thing. Like, it's great to say, it's great to say, okay, yeah, great. You want it to be perfect. What does that look like? Is that a quantifiable thing? Is that something that you can say, really what I mean by perfect is I want to sell a million copies or I want to make, I want everyone to love it. Okay. Well, that's not going to happen because it's not, nothing is going to be everyone's cup of tea. But like, if there are actual goals that you are aiming for, that you can say, this is what I want it to do this is what I want to achieve. That's a whole different thing. But I think the umbrella of, oh, I just want it to be perfect is a little bit unreasonable.
0: Yeah, I love it. If you had to give some advice for the listeners out there, especially in the time, the world that we're living in, maybe struggling, maybe going through some stuff, some inner turmoil or whatever. What is some advice that you'd like to give that they can walk away with today?
1: there there are a few key things i would like to give one of them is is again it's something it's it's my main goal with this book it's to let people know no matter what you are going through no matter where you are in the world even if you are isolating even if you are away from your loved ones and the people you know no matter how lonely you are you are not alone and there's a there, there's a big difference there's a world of people out there especially with the internet but even if you're not, you know, on social media or wherever, there's a there's a world of people out there f- for you to draw from who are supportive, who, who care. You can dive into the world's greatest minds by picking up a book. It's why reading is one of my very favorite things to do, when, especially when I'm down, is to pick up a good book, either fiction or nonfiction, and to dive into the mindset of someone else or to dive into a fantasy world or whatever, because you are not alone when you have a book. You've got that person with you. And same thing is with this series and with uh, with anything else that you see, with all of the interviews you see with your podcast, you know, so much of what you are doing here is to let people know, hey, you may think these people are so successful that they have no problems. I'm here to let you know you're not the only one. Everybody's struggling with something. And we could do a whole episode about all the things that I'm struggling with right now. That's just like, that's my gym. That's the stuff that I have to be working on. But I, I very, very, very much want people, especially during the pandemic, when when the world's been sort of shifted off its axis to realize that whatever you're going through, you have unique experiences. Yes. But you are not alone in in what you are feeling. Someone out there has felt what you have felt. And there there are people with flashlights to help you out of the cave. There are people holding out a hand. You know, we're all out here. So rather than looking inward and seeing the dark or seeing or hearing the voices that you maybe can't stop in your head that are making you feel so low, reach outward and find those people who are saying, I got you. Mm. You need a flashlight? I got you. Lance has got you. Anjali's got you. Tom billu has got you. Andrew Huberman's got you. All these people uh, have, have options for you. All these people have, have voices for you to listen to that are a little more, might be a little more productive and definitely more kind. Than some of those dark voices that that we listen to in our head, that's that's probably the greatest thing. And then the the second thing is, on the flip side of that, you know, there's that very famous quote that I am I'm probably uh, misquoting, but everybody is fighting a war that you know nothing about. Please be kind, and our. Our, we are our greatest selves when we are showing compassion. We are our greatest selves when we are being of service, when we are not focused solely on what's going on inside ourselves. And so, wherever you are in the world and whatever you are doing, I think it is a great way to look at how you work, how you move through the world and do your best to consistently be of service and consistently act with a certain level of compassion. There are fights you're going to have to have. There are people, there are going to be people that you have to. But up against. There may be very unpleasant moments, but coming from that base desire, that that basic desire to, to be something more than just yourself serves not just the people around you. It actually really serves you in your heart. It will fill you up so much more than only thinking about your own success. It will fill you up so It will get you so much farther than only thinking about your own success because nobody does this alone. Nobody really does this this life thing, mega successfully all by themselves. If they do, it's very boring because you're only enjoying it by yourself. So be kind, be compassionate with others, with yourself and know that you're not alone. It's
0: great advice.
1: Perfect. Thanks.
0: Thank you so much.
2: For
1: <laughs> Thank awesome. you. Thank really you. I
0: appreciate it. This Thank- is amazing. And I'm excited for your book. I'm excited to just see, continue to, you know, witness the magic you're creating. You got such a great energy. And I really, this was a great conversation. I appreciate it. Thank
1: you. Thanks so much, Lance. You take care.
0: Dude, thanks everybody.